you will, Father, with us. Do what you will. Came here with nothing but all that you've given us. So we pray that you'll do what you will with us. Father, I pray tonight that um, the kids in Kids Barn will know you on a more intimate level. I pray that you will help them to just truly see the power and the authority that you have and the love and the affections that you have for us tonight. And Father, I pray for that in this room as well. Saturate this environment. We desire your spirit to be here with us, dwelling tonight. I pray that you'll stir in our hearts. I pray that you'll help us to see you in a new way tonight. I pray that you will convict our hearts where we need it. And I pray that you'll encourage our hearts where we need it as well. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, kids, y'all are dismissed to Kids Barn. Have a great time. Well, how we doing? Good. Honored to be here with you on a Wednesday night. First time. Really glad to be here with you. Um, so tonight, it'd be a little bit more buttoned down. Uh, would love to just kind of process a, a few concepts with you tonight, and then just kind of take some time to share a little bit about my story with you all tonight. Does that sound all right? Cool. Okay, so uh, the mission here at Grace Meadows is love God, love others, and make disciples. So I wanted to really spend a lot of time on that last part here tonight. Talk through some uh, practical concepts of, of how to be the church and how to be sent out to go and make disciples of all nations. Because Jesus says this in Matthew 28. He says, and this is the last, last part of the book of Matthew, and then something very similar at the end of Mark. He says this. He says, all authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, I pray again that you would just stir in our hearts tonight. I pray that you will... Um, just help us to uh, take whatever next steps. Father, there are, uh, there are addictions. We are humans. We have struggles. Father, I pray that you will just help us to just like see you in sort of the hierarchy that it really ought to be. That like you are not just number one, but there's like this <laughs> wide, wide gap between you and everything else. Father, I pray that you will just help us to see that truth here tonight as we go through this. We love you. Jesus' name, amen. So some of the countries right now that have sort of old tactics for warfare are really struggling right now. There's, there's sort of a new movement of warfare that looks a lot different. Um, some of the top-down approaches where the front lines will see what's going on and then they'll have to just kind of wait around and they'll go up the ranks They'll go up the ranks until they get to the general who can tell them what to do, and then it goes back down the ranks, and then they act. That kind of warfare is struggling right now. What's doing really well is 
smaller countries that don't really have the liberty to do those things, but are being uh, trained and equipped and empowered to then go out on the front lines and make decisions. And I think that the former has been the approach in a lot of churches for a, in a lot of ways for a long time, but it was never intended to be that way. Uh, what we just read from Matthew 28 is that Jesus says to his disciples, he says, all of you go and make disciples of all nations. So he has trained and he has equipped his people and empowered them to as they live their lives, because that's kind of a, a better translation, not just go, but as you go about your lives, make disciples. And so I think um, a lot of times we have gotten stuck in like, hey, let's invite somebody to church, which is a good thing. All right, don't hear me wrong. Inviting someone to church is a good thing. Keep doing it. But we've kind of stopped there, right? If you could just come to church and you could hear a message, then hopefully you'll take your next steps in your relationship with Jesus. And it happens that way. But also, no member is greater than any other member. Jesus has said, you are all the church. You are all to go to all the nations and make disciples. And so tonight, I'd love to just kind of talk through some uh, practical approaches to, to make disciples. And uh, there's five, so bear with me, but I'd love to kind of process through these tonight. Uh, the first one is very simply asking questions. If you're taking notes, asking questions is the first one. Uh, how often does Jesus answer a question with another question? You see throughout the scriptures, right? And the reason he does this is because he wants to get to the heart of the matter, right? He doesn't want to settle for answering a question when there's something bigger on the horizon that he really wants to get to, right? He, he wants to expose the big wound so that he can operate on it, right? If you need open heart surgery, you don't want to put a Band-Aid on there, right? You need to go get open heart surgery, and that's what Jesus was after. Uh, it, I think about an example. A couple years back, I just remember having a conversation with one of my friends, and um, he, he got a job offer, and he called me up, and he said, hey, Here's the job offer. Uh, you know, he, this sounds pretty good. I'm kind of weighing my options, all of that. And he said, what do you think? And, and I remember in this moment, uh, it felt like God was saying, hey, like there's something bigger here. And so I just asked him the question. I said, what is it that makes you feel like this is such a difficult decision for you? And his response was, well, you know, I guess I don't really know who I am. And I thought, well, let's have that conversation, right? I mean, I could tell you, sure, this job sounds good. Take that job if you want. Great, hang up, and it was over. But I just remember thinking, let's stay. There's something bigger at play here. He seems urgent about this. Let's process through that. So I feel like God prompted a question, you know, what makes this such a difficult thing? And then it opened up this conversation. A week later, he professed faith in Jesus, got baptized, and moved forward in that direction. And, and because of that, the decision to accept or not accept the job to him seemed a lot smaller at that point, right? So when we ask good questions, we can start to get to the heart behind the conversation in the first place. So that's the first one, asking questions. Um, the second one is our God stories or our testimonies. Um, and this is kind of a two-part thing. One is we do, we really want to get their uh, God's story, right? If they have any sort of 
church background, any kind of engagement um, in terms of what they know about God, that sort of thing. We want to ask questions to get to that point because that's going to help us determine what our next steps are in that relationship. And um, I, I think, what, is, what does Jesus do with Zacchaeus, right? He, first of all, let me back up. Jesus teaches in the temple, right? That's a good thing. Jesus teaches in the temple. There's very valuable things that happen. But when he approaches Zacchaeus, he doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, thank you for coming to see me. I'll be at the temple tomorrow if you want to join. No, what does he do? He says, I must go eat at your house today. And he had this one-on-one conversation that led Zacchaeus to look at all the things that he had sort of ripped people off from, you know, in, in the past. Look at his house, this beautiful house that he had gotten from being a tax collector. And he says, no, I want Jesus. After encountering Jesus, after having a conversation where Jesus met me where I was and had a meal with me, that's the next step I want to take. So sometimes taking somebody out to lunch is just as good as inviting them to church. And getting their story and hearing, you know, do you have any church background? I'm just curious, you know, what your uh, background is with knowing God and where are you at? And then from there, we look for opportunities to share our stories of what God has done in our lives. And um, this certainly doesn't have to be the moment that you professed faith in Jesus, but how did Jesus sort of meet you in a situation that you were struggling with? Maybe, uh, maybe you had a death, maybe there was loss, traumas. Uh, Maybe there was a time of transition in your life. Maybe there was something difficult. And Jesus met you in that space. So it's kind of like a before, how he met you, and then what he's done in your life since then. So if we spend some time reflecting on our stories over and over and over and remembering, then we can sort of interject when necessary uh, what our experience with God has been like. Um, This makes me think of an example just last week, I had a, a friend who was let go from his job, and I couldn't relate to him in that aspect, but he said something next. He said, um, I feel like the walls are closing in on me right now. I just feel like the walls are closing in. And I remembered what that felt like, because I'm going to share a little bit about my 2016 story where I struggled with panic disorder, and I remember that exact feeling and how God met me in that moment. So I told him, I said, Look, I know exactly what you're thinking right now. I know exactly that feeling about walls closing in. I said, hang on. Good things are ahead. Hang on. Good things are ahead. And I was able to kind of walk through that with him because I was able to remember how God had seen me in that moment. And, that, and those things didn't line up, right? I, I don't know what it's like to be let go from a job. This was a panic issue that I had, but I was able to sort of kind of like put those things together. God was able to do that for me. And, uh, and so that's another example. So what we got so far is we got asking questions, we've got sharing our God story, and then the third one, this is my favorite one, is sharing Scripture in a relevant way. And so what I mean by this is if you're spending so much time in the Scriptures that you're able to digest the Scriptures and be able to speak about those, in a way that is relevant to people's lives around you, that's a great place to be. So if you can, in your quiet time, say, okay, I'm not just reading this and understanding this, but I really want to, like, know what God is saying. So I want to process out what it is that he's saying here by maybe saying it in a little bit of a different way. 
Okay, so um, if I, you know, if I read, I was washed by the blood of the Lamb, that may, that may be something good to say in a conversation with somebody who has a church background, who maybe remembers, you know, that scripture reading and that sort of thing. But with somebody who has no church background, if you say, I was washed by the blood of the Lamb, that may be the last conversation you have with that person. I'm not joining this cult. You know, it, so you may want to be able to understand what that means to the point where you can say, you know what, like, I, I have so many shortcomings and sin in my life that Jesus came and sacrificed himself for me so that I could be with the Father forever, right? So that sounds a little less... Um, intrusive for lack of a better term right uh, when you when you're talking to somebody who doesn't have a church background so sharing scripture in a relevant way uh, the the fourth one I have is just very simply value the relationship so I think a lot of times and I've got caught in this is when you are are making disciples when you're living on mission you can start to treat people not like their people but like their projects like they're your next project right like this person showed a little bit of interest they were they were humble enough they were open enough to um to sort of be that next person that i was investing in so i kind of tried to pull them along and get to them to a point that's not true disciple making that's treating people like a means to an end and i've gotten caught in that true disciple making starts with real genuine authentic relationships and a lot of times disciple making is just being just being with somebody to value them so much that you want to be that person that they call on that they have have conversations with when things are difficult that you're not always having an agenda i think i've started to even ask questions sometimes that are are manipulative questions leading questions not necessarily just curious questions um, so, so that's the next part, is just valuing the relationship. That's going to be so important for us moving forward because I think as this movement takes place of disciple-making where we're empowering people to go live on mission, we've got to first and foremost value the relationship. And the last one I have is, is prayer. Very simply, it's prayer. We can come up with blueprints all day and we can say, okay, there's these themes we've seen from Scripture and all that. But first and foremost, we are not the Holy Spirit. We cannot change anybody's lives. We can maybe help people cope in a certain way. We can, you know, maybe help people move in just incremental directions. But we cannot promote life change. That is through Him and Him alone. So I'd encourage us, uh, James McNeil from The Well, he told me this a while back. He takes a piece of paper, just like this, just a blank piece of paper. He divides it down the middle, and he'll put names of people he's praying for on one side. And then on the other side, because we all get distracted when we pray, right? Sometimes we'll think of something else, we get distracted. He'll go ahead and write down what it is that he was distracted by as to deal with it in the moment and, and recognize that he's not going to forget about that later. It doesn't have to keep distracting him. He's written it down, and then he spends time going back here and praying for people on that list. And so I think that Jesus gives us a blueprint for this, for making disciples. Um, Jesus has the 12, and that's who he's speaking to at the end. But even within those 12, there's really three that he spends the most time with. He's, he spends the most time with Peter, 
James and John. And then I think Paul gives us this precedent as well when he spends time with people like Timothy, Silas, and Epaphras on top of the others. So what I'd encourage us uh, just to kind of close this section off tonight is for us to just pray for, for names, for God to put names in our hearts and on our minds to spend more time with, to take somebody out to lunch, to, to consistently pray for. Because the thing is, if you're, if you're praying for somebody, you're not going to forget likely to text them or call them or invest in them because they're on your heart constantly. So if there are names that God gives to you, just prioritizing some of those names to help them take next steps in a relationship with Jesus. Um, the second part for tonight, I, I wanted to share a little bit of my story. We talked on the second one about sharing your God story. I wanted to do that tonight, and this is actually something, I've, I've shared pieces of this with people over the years, but I've never shared this in full detail like I'm going to do tonight. Well, full detail is kind of dramatic, not, uh, not full detail, but, uh, but in more detail. And... Um, so it started in 2016. I, I struggled what was, uh, with what was called panic disorder. Um, it was May 23rd, 2016, and I struggled with panic disorder. And it happened um, one evening. I was playing basketball, and after I got done, my heart wouldn't stop racing. And I thought that was really weird, and it kind of induced a little bit of fear in me, which then kind of induced a, a sort of a loss of control, which then kind of led to my first panic episode. And I wanted to share that story tonight, and not because my story is so important, but me telling this story is extremely important. And the reason it's extremely important is because if you would have told me in 2016, in the middle of this, that I would be sharing this story from a stage, I would have told you I was more likely to swim across the Atlantic Ocean than share this story. I mean, I felt like it was just going to be impossible to ever share this story. But that's the power of Jesus. And so every time I tell this story, people get to hear how strong he is. I am not the hero of this story. I did not pick myself up by my bootstraps. I did not figure out just the right ways to cope and get through it. Panic chewed me up and spit me out but Jesus met me in that place and he gets all the glory and all the credit I'm here tonight as a living testimony of the power of Jesus and that's it so I wanted to share a little bit about that story again it was May 23rd 2016 um, just got done playing basketball I had this panic episode eight days before that we had just set out as a core group of individuals there was 11 of us to go plan a church and we had two meetings, um, and then the day after our second meeting, I had this panic episode. And so because of that, <laughs> I remember thinking, this can't be happening right now, okay? I'm supposed to lead these people. I'm supposed to teach them about Jesus. I'm supposed to lead these people. I can't be dealing with this kind of stuff right now. At least that's what I thought. The way that I decided to lead in that moment was to suppress what was going on, to not talk to anybody except my wife about what was going on, to just quietly try to navigate my life. And so what ended up happening the next night 
was I had another panic episode, and then I had another one the next day, and then multiple and multiple and multiple the days after that. Before I knew it, I was either in a state of panic or fighting not to get into a state of panic about two weeks in. It was that rough. And, but, the, but here's the thing. That's not the vulnerable part for me. We, we have all got our issues that we deal with. We have physical health issues. We have mental health issues. We have losses. We have traumas. We have things that we have to deal with, marriage struggles, all those things we have to deal with. That's not what's embarrassing to me. The embarrassing thing is what happened next. I remember going to my wife two weeks in, and I said, Morgan, I'm either going to die because my body physically can't handle this anymore, or I'm going to go insane because my mind can't handle it anymore. And she looked at me, and she said, well, are you going to go talk to somebody about it? And I said, no. So even when I truly felt like the end was in sight for me, my pride was so strong that I still wasn't going to talk to anybody about it. That's where I was. And that's hard for me to admit in front of you all. It's hard for me to admit. So I started, and this is where the enemy started to really work on me. I started to read scripture from a works-based mentality. I started to believe that Sure, Jesus died for me, but because I can't seem to get my stuff together, now he's regretting that decision. I started to believe the lies that the enemy would tell. And so two months in, I'm just, I mean, I'm curled up in a fetal position. I'm, you know, uh, there is 100% darkness in my life right now. I can't get two sentences together without going into panic mode. And the hardest part about it, the hardest part about it is I, when my oldest daughter was born, there was a purpose in me that I had never felt before being a dad. And so when this happened, I had nothing to give her. One of the most joyful parts of my life has been being a dad, spending time with my girls. I have nothing to give her. And I thought I loved them more than anything, but what that time revealed was that my pride was even bigger than that. Just being transparent with you guys. So about two, two months in, my wife is pleading with me, go talk to somebody. Go talk to somebody about this. Finally, I give in. I, ta- I go and talked to one of my best friends at the time. His name's John Oakley. And the craziest thing happened. Nothing. It was okay. It, it, didn't, it didn't kill me to go talk to somebody about it. Um, and so then I talked to my friend uh, Buddy Gosey. I talked to Dale Gentry. I talked to uh, Justin Mizell, who y'all know. And I started to have people in my corner that were praying for me. And nothing changed at the moment. It was very freeing just to kind of let it out and let other people kind of be a part of what was going on and praying for me and being with me in it. But nothing really changed, at least for a while. Um, About a week later, my wife is cleaning the church at Northridge. She used to do that every week at the Springbrook campus. And there are moments in your life where you know for sure that God has entered this space. And this night was one of those nights. 
Uh, she's cleaning the church, and she listens to podcasts on her phone, but there was absolutely no reason for this podcast to show up on her phone. She didn't subscribe to Louis Giglio or listen to any of his stuff ever, but sure enough, there is a couple-year-old message from Louis Giglio called When Darkness Falls, and she listened to it, and then she came home and she said, Dallas, I really think you ought to listen to this story. And so I listened to it, and to my shock, his story was almost exactly like my story. Almost exactly. I thought all this time, I thought I was the only one who's ever had to go through anything like this. And sure enough, to see that somebody else has done it, has dealt with it, and has come through the other side of it, was a very encouraging night for me. And again, continued to have these panic episodes, continued to have them, continued to have them. Nothing really changed from there. But there were little pieces where I felt like God was really showing up in moments. So instead of 100 seconds of darkness, I'd, I'd see a second of light. I'd see a little bit of hope. And one night, Morgan was listening to some music. She was listening to this song called Broken Vessels. Um, and there's a line in there that says, I can see the love in your eyes. And for about a second, I saw the love in his eyes. And so we're looking at two seconds of light. 98 seconds of darkness, but two seconds of light. And I start to see that there's just this avalanche of God starting to really pursue my heart during this time. And I listened to a message by Matt Chandler the next day talking about the authority and power of Jesus. And I left that thinking, could it be true? Could it be true that Jesus actually has power and authority above even this situation? I had hope. I had hope, a little bit of hope that I held on to during that time. And so for the first time, I thought, what does this hierarchy look like? Is panic really so far supreme above this situation? I started to believe that maybe it wasn't. I started to believe that maybe it's true that Jesus truly is above it. Well, what I really realized is that God was with me. And this is the theme throughout the scriptures. If you go all the way back to the beginning, Joseph, it says what? He's in bondage. And then it says what after that? But God was with him. And so here's the thing. Because I knew God was with me, I started to believe. I started to believe that maybe he's bigger than this. What God did for me in that moment was everything because I had continued to pray over and over and over for God to take this thing away from me but what he did for me was even better he demonstrated to me in the midst of panic that his authority was higher so now if that panic comes back and I, I do I pray that it doesn't come back but if it comes back I know how the hierarchy goes I know that Jesus is at the top, and Jesus is at the top by a long shot, because if he is with me in the midst of panic, and he's still there after it's over, he's bigger. 
And so I began to realize and I began to be remade in this truth of the power of Jesus during that moment. And if that panic comes back, I know what my game plan is. See, the thing is, there are giants in our lives that we cannot overcome. I already told y'all, listen, panic chewed me up and spit me out, all right? There are things, we know sin and death that we can't conquer, that we need Jesus, but there are other things in our lives too that we cannot conquer, and it's got to be him. Our tools are not to get our, our, our best sword, our best you know, weapons and all that and try to overcome our enemy. Our best tools are praise. Our best tools are gratitude and repentance and coming before him and saying, God, we can't do it. I can't do it. I've tried. I tried to keep this thing quiet and just get through it, and then maybe nobody will ever know. And it didn't work. It was Jesus and his power. Y'all, y'all are going to hear this a lot on Sunday, but I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all that. If you're overwhelmed by the giant in front of you, look higher. Look higher. Because above that giant is a God who is much, much bigger. So as time went on, I, 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 uh, I read an article that helped me breathe through my panic episode to the point where, like, if anxiety got to the point where it was about to be a full-blown panic, I was able to breathe through it. I never had a panic episode after that. But here's the thing. It almost, <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost didn't even matter at that point. See, when you've got your eyes fixed on Jesus... You don't notice the giant in front of you quite as much. When Jesus has been carrying you through something for so long, you start to focus on the fact that he's carrying you, not the thing that he's carrying you through. And so as my eyes were fixed on him and started to learn more about his power and his authority and his affections for me, that issue seemed a whole lot smaller. Worship team, y'all can feel free to come back up. I don't know exactly what I need you all to take away from this except for the supremacy of Christ. Y'all, y'all are going to find, y'all are going to have giants that come in your path. My story is not an exception. We all have got our struggles. We have all got our issues. So when those come, notice I didn't say if. When those things come, get your battle plan ready. Your battle plan is praise. Your battle plan is praise. See, when trials come, keep this in perspective too. The enemy doesn't get to tell you who you are. God does. I spent so much time listening to the enemy during this time. He doesn't get to tell you who you are. God does. And so when those trials come, the enemy likes to strike in those moments to say, you know what, Dallas, you never could figure things out, and Jesus is disappointed in you. You never could get it. You're never going to get there. Sure, he died for you, but he's regretting that decision. 
when anxieties come up, he's going to prey on those things. But he doesn't get to determine who you are. God does. God looks at you and says, I, I see that you're a work in progress. I see you. And I love you right now. Not some future version where you start to figure things out a little bit and then be able to get in his presence of like, okay, you're doing well enough now, so I kind of value you. It's not his strength. I mean, it's not our strength. It's his strength. It was never about us in the first place. It was about him. He loves us. So if you're here tonight and you've got a battle going on, you better believe the enemy is telling you things that just aren't true. And I want you to hear tonight that he's still with you. He's still for you. And he's got plans for you. And he's got plans for you. I want to close by reading Psalm 23. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths. Um, Father, I thank you for the way that you continue to show up. That the fact that your love is not contingent on anything that we do, it's just what you do, or even better than that, it's who you are. That there's nothing we can do to earn your love. There's nothing we can do to earn your affections. There's nothing we can do to sort of get in good with you. Father, you love us so much without these parameters or hoops we have to jump through. And so, Father, I pray there are people here tonight that are just dealing with stuff. That there is just stuff going on. Father, I pray that you will just saturate their hearts and their minds during this time. We know the enemy likes to use lies. I pray that you will call him out as a liar. I pray that you will help us see the truth in these moments. And I pray that you will help us to get our battle plan of praise ready. Father, we love you and we're so thankful for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.